Now entering Nerdist.com. Well, this is still the JV Club. Its name has not changed since the last time I recorded an episode. And I am here sitting on the floor with Gillian Jacobs. You know what? She's on community. And I know that this is going to be... I'm excited because I hate to jump ahead to when this gets released, but I'm not even sure you need to say anything. You could recite the alphabet and people would just be so excited based (laughs) on their love of you and love of that show. Uh, but you know, <laughs> I really hope that's true. I don't know that it is, but that would be really nice if it was. I hope it, I hope it's true too. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that we don't really spend a lot of time talking about whatever it is that, um, the, this, these amazing women are doing in the present, I guess, partially because I feel like you probably talk about that quite a lot on other things and we don't need to do that here. No, we're here for something else. We're here for something else entirely. <laughs> So welcome to the JV Club. Thank you so much, JV. Thank. Yeah, I know. Now it, it seemed like a good idea to simplify it and just make I it like my it. initials. Now it seems Patty on the Becky. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, it's not like the JV is awesome club. It's just JV Club. Oh, I am going back and rethinking <laughs> every decision I've made that hasn't involved me complimenting myself in titular <laughs> form. Is there anything we need to talk about before I just start getting right into your personal history? Because that, I don't want to just... Dive up in it. I don't want to just dive all up in it. Get up, get up in my personal history. Go um, for it. If this were a, an interview in like Elle magazine, I would say that Gillian is drinking English breakfast tea with a little bit of sugar. And my like, and I'm wearing a sweater. <laughs> and she's wearing a sweater. <laughs> and they always say stuff like, and wearing less makeup, like her fresh face is yeah. scrubbed clean and she looks younger than her years. <laughs> well, I have come from a WonderCon panel today, so I am wearing a lot of false eyelashes right now and my hair is styled. So this is not my normal look. Let me ask this. Do you ever utilize false eyelashes in a non-professional situation never i don't really even wear makeup when when it's not applied to my face professionally is that because you feel like you do that so much for work that it's just not that fun anymore or were you always not really i never really liked makeup never wore makeup um yeah i don't i barely own any makeup and i don't know how to apply it so i always feel like i look really sloppy when i wear it (laughs) my and i'm even worse with my hair so i pretty much justify a bun for a lot of mm-hmm. things, right? It's like it's elegant. I do it's, too. It's like right. I tell myself, I we're yeah. both we're both sporting these sort of intentionally messy hairdos yeah. right now. Yeah. So yeah, I I really never uh, learned how to apply makeup, and I never learned how to do my hair. And my mom so doesn't know what to do with hair that she insisted that I have like a chin length bob my entire childhood because she didn't want to have to deal with hair. I, did you, you know, you have blonde hair, you have sort of not thin. I'm not going to say we have, we, neither one of us have thinning blonde hair, guys. We're not going bald. But you have fine hair. Fine hair, yeah. Did your hair, did it take a long time for you to grow hair? Because I was bald for years. Yes, as an infant and as a little baby, I had like a crew cut. Yeah, <laughs> I did not have like substantial hair until probably after the age of two, I would say. Wispy. Very, very, yes. 
You hit the nail on the head there, JV. Flaxen, wispy, <laughs> bald Gillian Jacobs. My cousin said I looked like E.T. when I was born. Oh, in fairness, don't all babies kind of look like E.T.? Then my grandmother told me that I looked like Carol Channing when I was oh. a child. Oh, my. I think we're already getting to the crux of why you are incredibly beautiful, but also <laughs> wildly humble. And the fact that you don't... Um, trot around like you're like you know that you're just stunning is oh, probably we have the carol channing and et <laughs> yes, comparisons to thank for that <laughs> wonderful so i guess this would have been happening back in pittsburgh pa it would have been janet varney according to your very accurate research yes it was it was all happening in pittsburgh where i'm from now i've noticed that a lot of really mystical things happen in pittsburgh <laughs> such as well there was a guy who didn't know that he was a ghost and what? then it turned out that he could talk to, there was a kid who saw dead people and he ended up being, a, he was a psychiatrist who didn't realize, realize he was dead. Oh, we're talking about the movie, The Sixth Sense. And <laughs> okay. I know that happened there. I know that I'm pretty sure there was another guy who bore a striking resemblance to the guy I just mentioned uh-huh. who turned out to kind of be like a superhero. He didn't realize he was, but he was like, I don't want to use the term unbreakable, oh, but he was yes. sort of unbreakable. Yeah. He was like a, he was like, that a, was in Pittsburgh. I think so. Might have been Philly. Oh. M. Night Shyamalan. Is it always Philly or Pittsburgh? It's always Philly. I thought it was just all over Pennsylvania. Well, I'll give you some ones that you may have missed. Uh, Inspector Gadget, the film was shot in Pittsburgh. That's nothing if not mystical. (laughs) (laughs) A man who turns out that he has robotic limbs. Yeah. Yeah, and a a mystical, magical raincoat. This is... (laughs) And M, of course, that's an M. Night Shyamalan classic. Everyone knows. Uh, yeah. So what else do you have? Um, let's see. I know you have The Mysteries of Pittsburgh. Because that yes. was a wonderful novel yeah. that was then turned into a movie. Wonder Boys also was shot in Pittsburgh. Oh, Another I love night- Wonder Boys. They tried to get my mother to be an extra on Wonder Boys, and she refused. She said that if they gave her a beeper and she could sit in her office all day and they would beep her when they needed her on set, then she would do it. But... I don't think my mother understood that when you're an extra, you're basically at the mercy of the production and you're just one of hundreds and you don't get to get a beeper. That is wonder. I'm going to assume she's not a drug dealer. She's not. Um, what is she, was she, did she teach at the school? She does alumni relations at Car- Carnegie Mellon where they shot Wonder Boys. So she had been an extra in Dogma, the Kevin Smith movie. And so I guess she was in with the extras casting in Pittsburgh and they were like, hey, you work at Carnegie Mellon. You want to be an extra? She's like, if you get me a beeper, yeah. But I like this lady. They didn't go for it. That's surprising. Speaking of your mom, I will say quickly that there was a brief time when she was in town. I know. We talked about doing the podcast, and there was even a chance, guys, I don't want to tell you something that's going to make you sad, <laughs> but uh, Gillian's mom almost did the podcast with her, which yeah. I think would have been a huge hoot. You would have really understood why I am the way I am, because apparently we are the same person, so you would have seen older me. Um, do you, was that something that you, you realized about yourself that you were a lot like your mom growing up or is it something that's developing as you're getting older? Um, definitely we, I, I know that we're a lot alike because I'm an only child and you know, so very close with my mother. But as I get older, people point out to me the ways in which we're the same, that sometimes it makes me cringe in the ways in which when you realize that you are your parents, it makes you cringe. So I'm, I'm realizing more and more. My mom is really uptight, and uh, I'm realizing more and more how uptight I am. 
You know what? We call that she wants it how she wants it. <laughs> she wants it how she wants it. That's not a Hey, fight. we know how we want it and we want it exactly. that way. Yeah, so we both we both can get ourselves wound up really easily. Um, but we both love drag queens, so there's there's positives to every negative. I like that you said that as though those two things are each other's mirror image. Like or those the, are the, flat, the, the flip side of the coin. Yeah. yeah, it's like on one side of the coin is you're uptight, but on the other side, you do get to love drag queens. <laughs> yes. Those two go hand in hand. <laughs> to me, it makes it all okay. All the other stuff okay. How did... How early on were you aware of drag queens Pretty and how... On. Really? Because yeah. your mom loved them. Yeah. Let's get into that right I now. I remember watching priscilla queen of the desert at a young age and we both loved that that was one of our favorite movies that's our, a great movie isn't it a great movie is bill bill nye's in that right isn't he i don't think or is no totally it's m- terrence stamp oh, it's terrence stamp it's terrence two stamp, men that guy I love. pierce oh terrence stamp i'm trying to think of the third but we would rent that a lot from blockbuster back when there were blockbusters yeah when you had to actually leave your house to go get a movie r.i.p blockbuster (laughs) (laughs) r.i.p let's give a moment of silence i know so you guys would go to blockbuster and rent it i love that it's not that you didn't own it you just pre you just would frequently we only owned mannequin (gasps) 2 but not mannequin one. not mannequin one was it a gift I don't know how it ended up in our possession, but we had Mannequin 2. I've never seen Mannequin 2, but I love Mannequin 1. Yeah, I've seen Mannequin 2 way more than I've seen Mannequin 1. Who's in Mannequin 2? Christy Swanson? Is it? It's Kim Cattrall's Mannequin 1, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's <laughs> What if they called it Mannequin 1? They were so sure there was going to be a Mannequin 2 that they this named it Mannequin 1. It's going to be a hit. Mannequin 2, I think she was on the move. Was it Mannequin 2 colon on the move? Is that true? I remember she had places to be. Yeah. The first one, it was like, she was a she was a peasant girl from the past. I think she might have been an Egyptian princess. I'm sorry. To I'm so confused. We gotta, we gotta Jacobs, Google this. Someone, maybe in Mannequin 2, she was a prince. She was like a peasant girl and a prince was in love with her. Yeah, that's not Mannequin 1. Okay, the Mannequin 2, the one I'm familiar with. Uh, she, this, no one cares about this. I know, but this is why this is a fun podcast, because the important thing is we can decide I, I for know. ourselves who uh, cares about it. I Yes, we own Mannequin 2, the first Star Wars movie, and To Catch a Thief, I think, were some of the only movies we owned. I wish you had said Grease 2. It feels like it could have gone into that I do remember watching genre. Grease 2, though, as a kid. Again, a- I'm not sure. I may have seen that one once. And, but you love drag queens. So your mom and your mom kind of introduced you to the drag queen world. Yeah, she likes drag queens. My mom likes a drag queen. Definitely watched Chi Wong Fu. I remember that I was in a production of Evita when I was a kid. And they were having a Madonna um, like lookalike karaoke competition, which turned into inadvertently a drag competition. Like, I don't think the organizers realized what they were actually setting up and maybe two women competed and the rest were just men in drag and i remember just being so excited that i was a kid at basically a drag show um and yeah on from there just always loved did you go i am jumping right ahead very quickly just for the drag queen purpose did Mm -hmm. you go to see drag shows and stuff when you moved to new york no by yourself no i didn't really do anything i would spend like friday nights at the magazine section of barnes and noble when I was in college, I was kind of scared of New York. I can relate to that. Yeah. So I basically stuck to a 10 block radius around Juilliard, which is very 
it feels like a mall without a roof on the Upper West Side at this point. You know, there was a R.I.P. Tower Records. There's a Tower Records. R.I.P. Barnes & Noble. That Barnes & Noble isn't there anymore. Wow, this is... Yeah, I know. Times they are changing. Yeah, but it, it felt very familiar to me. It was all mall stores, basically. So I would just stay in that general area. So no drag shows. And yet Pittsburgh, that's a city. It's not like you were coming from a tiny yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. But I lived in a suburb and... I spent a lot of time in the city of Pittsburgh, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I think New York was just overwhelming to me. Was there ever, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but since your mom worked at Carnegie Mellon, obviously it's an amazing theater yeah. program. Was there a discussion of, oh, yeah. I could go here, but then I'd stay, I'd be staying in the same yes. city? I auditioned, well, she started working there so I could go there for free. Because nice. if you work there for six years, your kids can go there for free. And then I got in and I turned it down. So I turned down a free education. And your mom looked back at six years of her life yeah. wasted. Well, she's still there. So um, I guess she's, I don't know. Maybe she's thinking I'm going to change my mind any well, minute now. I'm, I'm guessing she wasn't like a heart surgeon who then gave, you know, no, or a garage no, mechanic no, who no. completely changed careers no, to no. give you that. She was, not, she was not like taking a demotion to work at Carnegie Mellon so I could go there. But she definitely thought that that was like a smart move. But I mean, to go to the college where your mom works... In your hometown? No, it would not have been good. And I already knew all of the teachers at the drama program at Carnegie Mellon. I knew all the students there. So there would have been no reinventing yourself. Yeah. Moving away, meeting new people. I knew everyone. I totally get that. That that The growth experience feels so important. I mean, it doesn't to everybody, but you know, yeah. it sounds to, to me. To me, like, I, yeah. yes, I did want to, I wanted to get out of Pittsburgh. So, because they have better magazine sections, in- they did. The Barnes and Noble was much bigger in those New York. Are the two, those are pretty much the two motivating factors when you right? choose a school. A good magazine section nearby. Yep. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I totally get that. Um, so I, yeah, I guess I just jumped right into college. But yeah. but Pittsburgh, and then um, and but and you started doing theater really young. Yeah, you were in a production of Evita when you were a wee one. Yes, I did my first play in third grade. I was eight years old, and it was a steadfast toy soldier. Oh. And it was mainly a ballet. I was the only actor in it. And when I went to the audition, they thought I was there for the dance portion. And so they made me do the dance audition. And I was so horrible that the director pulled me aside and said, You're not here for the dance <laughs> audition, are you? Something's given you away. Yeah. I was like, No, no, I'm not. And um, I. Got it. So it was a really bad precedent to set getting your first audition. Yeah, that's how it is all the time. Yeah, right? So I did that. And then from there on out, I was basically always doing plays until I graduated from high school. And did you feel like television and film was sort of an end goal? Or did you feel like you were going to focus more on theater and did the the on-screen stuff kind of happen organically? Well, I thought that my, my goal was to be an off-Broadway stage actor when I moved to New York. And then I saw a lot of really bad plays. And the thing I realized later on was that we would only get comps at Juilliard if a play was really bad and they were trying to paper the house for the you know the week where the critics came. So I just kept wondering why all the plays I saw were so terrible. And then I realized <laughs> later that they were all like the bad plays that needed, you know, 30 kids in there, 30 sure. enthusiastic kids. So I thought like theater kind of sucks. <laughs> uh, I later realized it, I was just seeing a very select group of plays that were in trouble. Um, oh, no. But I also had such a hard time at Juilliard and felt so criticized by the 
teachers there that it started to make theater feel like something that I wasn't quite sure I could do anymore. And no one had really ever criticized me about acting in front of a camera. So then I just sort of pursued film and TV more when I graduated because I felt less criticized. And I remember Juilliard's in Lincoln Center and I remember I went to one audition for a play at Lincoln Center and like being within 100 feet of Juilliard, my knees were shaking and I was like, I'm still traumatized by the school. I can't like, I can't audition for a play. And um, so yeah, I, I only ended up doing like maybe four plays in New York. I said, don't do a lot of people have that experience at Juilliard yes. though? Yeah. So yes. it's not like you were, everyone was beloved and you for some reason were a scapegoat or. No, you know. I mean, a lot of people quit acting immediately upon graduation. There are some people that don't even ever pursue acting. It's, it's, that seems a shame. I know. It? But then again, you're like, well, could you pick a harder profession? So if you've really decided it's not for you, it's probably best to get out. You know? Is that something that's that's maybe not discussed in the classrooms with the students, but is that something that's part of the kind of rhetoric behind the program that's like, listen, it's going to be very difficult yeah. for people no matter what. So Well, well I was gonna... there. They had a cut program. So they would ask people to leave at <laughs> the end of the second year. No, thank you. Yeah. So I was on probation. I was up for the cut my second year. So it was very much a part of the school where, you know, everyone that starts isn't going to finish. And you don't know how many people it is. It's not like they have a percentage that they have to cut. But, you know, you know, there was a, never a year when I was there that someone wasn't cut. Oh. So, I mean, that's already a part of it. You know, it's not like, oh, you get in and then, you know, fuck around for four years and you right. know, everyone graduates. No, you, you still got to like you know, earn your keep there. And was your experience in high school different? Were you, did you have a really positive, supportive experience in high school with? As an actor, yes. Mm -hmm. Not in terms of me at my high school, no, but in terms of my acting career in high school, yes. Like I got a lot of great opportunities. I got to work at the Equity Theater in Pittsburgh, which was the, you know, professional theater and um, play some really kind of great parts. I got to play Titania when I was 16 and you know how fun is I that? was horrible but it was amazing <laughs> so I got really bad You're reviews supposed to be uh, yeah I was really bad but it was an amazing opportunity I got to do check off you know with you know and these weren't like high school productions These were I got to work with professional actors and I was basically always in a play as a kid so I think I just went from play to play to play so to go to Juilliard and then be criticized and not be the favorite and you know it was a, it was a weird it was, I guess it was a necessary uh, transition, though, because very few people go from success to success in this career. Sure. So it was probably a better preparation for this, um, for, you know, being a professional actor than just having a really great time as a kid. Right. Well, so you had a great experience as an actor, but you know what I'm going to focus in on right now Let's is what was high it. school like? Ooh. Mount Lebanon? Mount Lebanon, right. yeah. Mount Lebanon High School was not so much fun for me. I had a group of like four or five girlfriends, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, I was not popular. I never really got asked to dances. I never really got asked out. I... Uh, I know every like so many actresses give those interviews. They're like, "I was the ugly duckling," and everyone's like, "I want to shoot you through." The I know head. that, but it turns out that is very frequently true, yeah. and that's what we keep discovering. Yes, all of us together on I this know. podcast is that it, and maybe for the reason that you just said, in terms of developing yourself as a human, yeah. and maybe 
developing a thicker skin Mm -hmm. or, you know, past guests have said, you know, June, June said, um, I, if I would have, if I had sort of topped off in high school, I would have, I'd be such a jerk today because I just wouldn't, not to say that you can't have a great experience in high school, but it is very interesting that it's so true. Well, I was a kid of very distinct interests that were not what everybody else was into. I'm ready to hear every (laughs) single one. Well, I developed a love of Shakespeare at a very early age. I mean, that's pretty geeky. Yeah. I also loved Shakespeare as a as a youth. Did you my dad was the, an English teacher, okay, well, so there it was you go. just that was encouraged probably yeah, in the home, big time. Yeah, my um, I dragged my family to the George Bernard Shaw Festival in Canada for about five summers. Fun. I would see like three plays a day, and oh. these were like these aren't you know Pygmalion and sort of like the more I was going to like. Passion, poison, poison, and petrification at noon. You know what I mean? Like, I was going to see, like, John Bull's Other Island. So I was really into George Bernard Shaw. Uh, You were a bright young lady. (laughs) I don't know that I... I, Yeah, I just... I really liked it. I I was really into uh, Cole Porter. (laughs) I really get made fun of still to this day for the fact that I know, like... If a Cole Porter song goes on somewhere, I can probably sing along with it. Do people say you were born in the wrong era? Yeah, or just like, what the hell were you doing? Like, <laughs> I just remember like being alone in like my house and singing Cole Porter songs. I had a book of uh, like traditional like English, Irish, Scottish folk songs, and I taught myself a lot of folk songs on the piano. And would I love it all. <laughs> Um, you would have fit right in with my family really oh yes uh, yeah i i mean my mom definitely encouraged all of it but there was no other kid at school that was into any of this stuff so but i think the thing about me was that i was always kind of stubborn so the fact that nobody liked it kind of like maybe spurred me a little bit more you know i i, I uh did not shy away from being the weirdo always loved npr <laughs> way i would I was telling someone I would like race home from school every day to catch the end of Fresh Air. So I've been listening to Fresh Air for a long time. That's wonderful. You'll and have you done an episode of Fresh Air? I've never been on. Fresh you will. Oh, that would be my dream. I'm saying right now uh, you're going to make you it happen. Will the be sec- on Fresh Air. Air. I'm, I'm secreting it right now. I'm secreting the hell out of it right now. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. So yeah. So those were some of my many geeky interests and. Nerdy. Did you like a Prairie Home Companion? Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah, I liked a Prairie Home Companion. I liked a Poirot. I liked a David Suchet Poirot. Please, I was obsessed with Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes uh, in the PBS. Yep. There series. you go. I read all of Sherlock Holmes as a kid. Read a lot of Poirot. Um, all that stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I, the, I don't, I guess I only really had adults to talk to about that kind of stuff. I couldn't really talk to other kids about it. And I always felt much more comfortable talking to adults than I did to kids my own age. And you were an only child. And that, yes. that kind of explains part of that too. And did you, were your parents together when you were a kid? No, my parents got divorced when I was two. Mm-hmm. So I grew up my mom with my mom. So I was, did yeah. she ever remarry? No, neither one of my parents have remarried. Same. Yeah. And also my parents split up when they were really young. There you go. And we, so yeah, you and I both spent a lot of time by ourselves. Mind you, in fifth grade, when you were going to the George Bernard (laughs) Shaw Festival, I was playing classical guitar with a bunch of dorks to the degree that we went and played a, like a, 
Baroque ensemble performance at the University of Hermosillo in Mexico. You think I've never it's heard some Baroque music? Oh, I've I feel some, sure you yeah, have, yes. given everything I've heard up to this point. I've heard some Baroque music. Uh, so you had your four, your four or five close girlfriends, yeah. and were they into the same stuff you were? You kind of were a raggle taggle group that found each other. I mean, they were all the smart girls. They were like, you know, my. One of my friends was probably like number two in our class and they were, they were all very academic, but they weren't into the theater or literary things that I was into. We didn't really share that in common. So I had like my theater friends from my acting class on the weekend who went to school downtown. You know, they were like mm. the, they're the exciting kids who went to school downtown. Mm. And so I kind of lived for Saturdays when I could be around my acting class friends and you know, so we had more shared interests. But even for them, I feel like my Shakespeare classical theater, I was still... Did Did you have other... Did you have... I mean, I know that you, you and your mom enjoyed Tu Wong Fu and yes. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes. Did you have contemporary stuff that you still kind of dabbled in, even though you weren't necessarily crazy nuts about it? Were you like, yeah, I can stand Counting Crows or I don't you know. You know what? Like, I still to this day don't really listen to a lot of music Mm -hmm. i will just turn on npr in the car and that's pretty much all i listen to and so i like music it's not that i don't like it it's just that i because i guess i never listened to top 40 radio and i never knew what people were really talking about i tried to listen to it for a while just to like have stuff to talk so i knew what people were talking about but i'm not really drawn to it and i and i don't feel the absence of it if i'm not listening to music so I'm trying to remember, like, I know I had a lot of Radiohead. I had a lot of Bjork. Yeah. Uh, I had a lot of Stevie Wonder. Um, I'm trying to remember. Those, the classic three that right. go hand in hand, Bjork, Radiohead, That's, they and often, the oddball Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I know they often perform together. Indeed. Um, Indeed. But, yeah, I was way more into listening to, like, uh, All Things Considered. All Things Considered. This is not this podcast. I wish this podcast were as cool as all. I'll tell you what people don't do on All Things Considered or Fresh Air is say the words like and uh, Terry Gross yeah, says like as much as I say them. Terry Gross says like. Really? Mm-hmm. She doesn't like it when women go up at the end of the sentence. She That's a real that's pet fair. peeve of hers, but she does say like, I have noticed. Man, that actually makes me feel much better. Thank Don't you. Don't worry about it. I didn't We're, mean for this to be a therapy session We're all me human. and my interview style, but that but actually I want to ask you then, but I'm curious based on what you've told me so far, mm-hmm. because when we're in high school, it's fair to say we're pretty hormonal and there are things that are kind of the end of the world or make us feel like we're flying through the air and we're superheroes and but in those crushing moments when something overwhelms you and you just needed to write in your journal did you keep a journal did i keep a journal did you keep uh, a journal i sporadically but not faithfully would you would you, you know what i was really into quotes i would buy books <gasps> yes. of quotations and then i would pick my favorites and write them in a notebook so i had notebooks full of quotations that i had written out can you remember any of your favorites? Uh, not verbatim, if not necessary that they be verbatim. Yeah. Um, let me think. Uh, someone said, keep a diary in one day, it'll keep you. I remember that was a quote in my quote book. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, like in response to, I'm not going to keep a diary. Let me write this quote down about it. Yeah. Uh, I remember it's like a Lyndon B. Johnson, better to be inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. 
Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Some of them. Uh, that is not one that I would. I was going to say, what would you like cry over? Oh, yeah, and I'm guessing Lyndon B. Johnson's. Uh, let me think. Like a lot of Mae West quotes, probably. <laughs> and, you know, I used to be Snow White, but I drifted. I remember that was a Mae West quote. That's a good. She was amazing. Wasn't she? For those, she was like a little Oscar Wilde. Yeah. And all those indecency trials. And yeah, she was, yeah, she was pretty She's a pretty extraordinary woman. Has anyone played her recently in anything? Not that I can, maybe like a a one woman show in New York, but not like a. But like a great biopic. Yeah. Julian. I know, I don't. I don't know if physically you represent the Mae Wests of the world, but that's what Patty's for. I know, that's. In spirit. spirit. I read something online um, about. I think it was you just a few days ago did uh, like a Q&A online with people uh-huh. and oh, someone Reddit? asked you. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 you yeah. did Reddit. First of all, and I'll do respect to the people who were online with you. There are some real humdingers of like, <laughs> don't tell her to an- don't ask her to answer that. That's ridiculous. And then they just spiral off into conversations between themselves oh, yeah. that don't even involve you anymore that are sort of about you, but you're still online. I, I It was a hoot. <laughs> to read but someone said who would you be interested in portraying yeah who did you say i said gene seberg yes you did yeah i mean she had a pretty crazy life i don't know all the ins and outs of it but i know she had a child that died she was involved with black panthers and then she attempted suicide every year on the anniversary of her child's death she was and when and she and she attempted suicide but failed yeah on purpose i guess she seems like she suffered some major trauma at a certain point along the way. And you've played a lot. Oh, oh just yeah, became a real interviewer. <laughs> let's get in and out of this right away. <laughs> but now I'm now I'm asking. Now I really am asking the question. Now You know what? Now I'm asking the question, but I'm going to a private place that I have no business going. And you can okay. just tell me to go off myself. Um, or off myself, in the case <laughs> okay. maybe considering the context of the question. Uh, you have played a lot of damaged characters. Yes. Um, did you experience any depression or anything in your life and your youth that mm. kind of drew you to that or is it just no. completely? Yeah, no, I, I would never, I mean, definitely normal teenage depression, but not clinical depression. But, and I remember my freshman year at Juilliard, I was cast in this play where I played like a drug addict, somewhat, you know, like moving towards prostitution kind of street girl and i was like wow this is like so uh what a novelty little did i realize flash forward five (laughs) years later that's like all i would be playing (sighs) so i think i was always just so shocked that people were casting me in these roles because they are so different from who i am that i sort of couldn't believe that that i was getting these parts and it's a really fun challenge as an actor to play someone that wildly different than yourself and be like snorting fake heroin and playing a street prostitute, you know? But then after, after like maybe the fourth or fifth time, it's like, I got to start doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. Do they, wait, so do, do you really snort something? Yeah. You snort. What do you snort? Well, what do you snort? I've learned now, uh, pay it forward that you should snort baby powder. Okay. Like, uh, no, like baby formula. Oh, I was going to say. No, not, not. Yeah, yeah. So still something you can ingest. Um, That's what the cops told me. (laughs) They, they always have like a cop on set as security. And he said, oh yeah, the drug dealers, that's what they cut the Coke with anyway. So that's, but I wasn't snorting that. I was snorting ground up amino acids. 
Did that burn? It I burned mean, and then my nose would just close up and then I couldn't even yi. like snort anything into my nose after the fourth or fifth take. So, yeah. That's rough. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I thought that by some trick of the movie making world, you didn't actually have to ingest anything. No, you got to snort something. You got to snort something. In the words, that would be one of the quotes that I put in my quote book, Gillian Jacobs. You, you got to snort something. I mean, in this world we live in, a lady's got to snort something. Uh, okay, well, we're going to move right back out of the, in all the roles you played, push glasses up. Um, so so your girlfriends in, in high school were close and smart mm-hmm. and patiently rolled their eyes in a loving way at your <laughs> obsessions that they did not share with you. Mm-hmm. Did, and, and you weren't really asked out to dances and no. stuff. Did you have crushes? Did you obsess over boys? Did yeah, you... I had a lot of hopeless crushes that never came to fruition. I was telling someone the other day that I, I remember in high school, I just became convinced that this one boy was going to ask me to homecoming based on nothing. Like, I don't even know that he really knew that I was alive. But I just... I. Decided that he was going to ask me to homecoming. All right. And I remember, and I also didn't do anything to actively make this happen. Um, I just decided that he was going to, in fact, ask me. And I remember being home from school one day and my friend calling me and saying, I'm so sorry, but I just saw him ask out, I can't remember who it was, Susan Miller to homecoming. And I was just crushed. And I remember crying and crying and crying. But yeah, he didn't know me. I mean, like he knew who I was, but he didn't like me. Why did I think he was going to ask me to homecoming? I don't know. I just you got decided. a vibe. You I, just got. A vibe. I was vibing on him. You he were was vibing, vibing on, on him. No, I. Did you have crushes where you would like make sure to be in the same hallway because you knew what class the guy had, and you would just sort of linger? I would try and walk home with this boy, but he totally knew what I was up to. I was not subtle at all. <laughs> And like he didn't really like me, and but I would like always be like, oh, oh, hey, you know, like running up the hill to catch up to him. <laughs> yeah, I was not slick at all. When did you kind of start having little relationships or little boyfriends, or did he go? Did you not really have any of that, and then kind of just get serious with someone as you when you were in college? I dated the first boy I ever dated was a homeschooled fundamentalist Christian. Um, whose parents thought I was just horrible, even though I was, like, so naive and was, like, you know, it was not, like, they thought I was some, like, seductress. <laughs> uh, and we were in a play together. And they let him be in a play. I know, I know. They let, But it was kind of like a vaguely Christian the- children's theater company. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I liked a boy. I only dated one boy from my high school at the end of my senior year for a couple of months. And yeah, so I didn't really have a boyfriend, I'd say, until college. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I remember being in an acting class and the acting teacher was trying to do like sense memory and being like, so think about that first time. They oh, no. kissed someone, and I started crying because I'd never kissed anyone. And, and they was, probably were like, she's got a great story Yeah, she's to got tell. some real trauma. <laughs> um, Let's cast her as a yeah. hooker. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, uh, no one, no one was going for it. Well, this is the thing that you were afraid people would hear you say and go, yeah, right. But <laughs> I, 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 I got to be honest, I, I totally believe it. How do you even eat? How do you even have room for it sounds like the the process of being at Juilliard and and being constantly criticized 
That's, that almost <laughs> sounds like yikes to try to put dating on top of that and then risk being hurt in that way also. Yeah. Which is kind of how I feel about this city too. Just <laughs> being a single person in an industry where you where you're constantly trying out for stuff and hoping to be the right fit for something yeah. to add on top of that, like more love, kind of love stuff. Hey, like me. Yeah. Oh no, you don't like me. Okay, great. That's just <laughs> another thing that I didn't win at. Well, Juilliard's so small too. There were 15 people in my class, you know, and there were, I mean, less than a hundred actors in the entire acting program. And I think they call that slim pickings. The slim pickings and they're actors. So everyone's crazy. I mean, Indeed. it's, um, was it, um, incestuous it was incestuous there were some classes at Juilliard that were quite incestuous mine I don't think was as incestuous I'm trying to remember the couplings of my class um not a ton but it was it was such a small program that you know it everybody's all up in your biznatch um and I don't know everyone's you know yeah, you're in class from nine in the morning till eleven at night. So, how much free time do you really have anyway? Yeah. So, some, I, people, some people though like stayed together, and are, I know some couples that are married that started dating at Juilliard. So, I guess it, you can make it happen. I can you speak in vague terms? Is it the kind of community where there's some mixing between instructors and students? Oh, that was not going on when I was there. You always hear stories about the 70s. Hey. The 70s seems like... I've was, turned into Fonzie. Yeah. Hey. The, the 70s was when apparent, allegedly there was a lot of uh, rails of cocaine being snorted in dressing rooms by instructors and students and I think some dilly-dallying. But when I was there, that... Not to my knowledge, but I'm, I always realize that I'm incredibly naive and, uh, very oblivious to what's going on around me. So you know what? I could be proven totally wrong <laughs> and someone could write on the message board, so-and-so and so-and-so were totally dating. And I would be like, well, news I, to me shocked. I'm yeah. shocked. So I'm never the, I'm not the one to ask. Yeah. There are probably other people that were there at the same time who would know a lot more than I did. Uh, I'm jumping around. I'm jumping mm-hmm. back over to family. But um, how often do you see your mom? I see my mom quite a bit. And she's still, obviously, she's still there. Yeah, she's, she's in, in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. But she's decided now that L.A. is the only acceptable place to get her hair done. So now she comes out here to get her hair done. So well, I she, see her quite frequently. She wants it how she wants it. She's, hey, you know what? She's a lady with standards. She you got to snort something. I'm just right? going to throw all of these <laughs> new know. quotes that we've come up with. <laughs> yeah. So she, yeah. And does she stay with you when she comes and visits? Yeah. <laughs> Have you kind of taken her around and like shown her, has she come on set with you? She, and Yeah, she will come to set. She will sit there until wrap. She'll be there at 2 a.m., her, the writer and the director at the monitor. And oh. she will hang in there. Yeah, she likes going to set. And I'm always shocked at her stamina because I think it's so boring, you know, for someone who's not actively doing something on a set. It's like yeah. so dull. The time goes by so slowly yeah. to me. But she, I think she likes it because it gives her a better sense of what my life is like. And, you know, I'm there for so many hours a day that I think she enjoys knowing what it is exactly that I do. That's how my mom is, too. And she came and visited me maybe a year after I had moved here. And she really did just want to kind of come with me and have a Janet Barney day. And, and that a included a JV a day. A awesome day. And, uh, oh, I think I proved uh, the contrary <laughs> on whatever day she came, you know, but she did. She came with me to, I think, you know, she came with me to like a commercial audition. I, I took my mom to right? an audition recently, like 
a month ago. Because I'm sure she wanted to know like, no, what's that I, I all about. Her, or you dragged she her. Was, she was coming out here. She flew in. She was there for the last day of shooting of season three of Community. And then I, I had one day with her. And then I had to fly out the next morning to go do a short film. I was like, so mom, this is basically our only day together. And um, so you're coming with me, lady. And I went and I had an audition in which, of course, I was playing like a whore. <laughs> and so my mom is running lines with me in the car on the way to the audition and playing the part of my pimp. And it was so amazing to hear my mom say things like, thinking's what hadn't you sucking cops off for crack. So get over here and suck my dick. And she really was trying to give it like her all to give it. She thought she was giving a very authentic performance as a pimp. And oh, um, that's glorious. And then we got to the audition and there was an older character actor there who was wearing cowboy boots and like a big belt buckle and, you know, the the casting director says, you know, come out, come, come on in. How are you doing? And he's like, I'm fine. How are y'all? And my mom goes, pretty over the top. It's just like <laughs> snarking on people, other actors in the audition. That's and amazing. She was talking really loud. She like had managed to spill yogurt on herself and was like, I spilled yogurt all over myself. And like, is, is like, is like, has running commentary on everyone. I'm like, mom, do you hear how thin those walls are? We can hear everything that they're saying in there. That means they can hear us. Like, stop it. And get me in trouble. But it was really great. It was so much fun. And she just thought it was so crazy. You had to wait for so long and all those people were so crazy. And I was like, that was nothing. (laughs) Then you realize how cuckoo our business is. And just because I've seen truly insane things doesn't mean that that also wasn't cuckoo. Yeah, it still qualifies as being incredibly absurd. I I highly recommend taking your mom to an audition. That, yeah, I don't think I, I, there's no way that, that my mom had that awesome and wackadoo of an experience. But she's the same. She'll... My mom will talk. She loves talking to people. And yeah. I do too. And so in terms of like figuring out that we're like our parents, I'll just talk. Yeah. I get teased for the encounters that I have like ordering a sandwich just because... It goes on for it 20... It goes on for a long time. And you have a new friend. We're human beings and we <laughs> crave social contact. And why not? I'm trying to get better at it. My friend Richard loved talking to strangers like we caught in a crowded elevator the other day and he goes hello new friends oh that's not me (laughs) that's that might be the extreme extrovert i think he was playing it up because we had been talking about how much he loves talking to strangers so i think he was you know he was amping it up a bit but i i'm not that person and i'm trying to like danny pooty who i know you're friends with is one of the friendliest people i've ever met (sighs) He's a dream. Yeah. And so I always feel like such a jerk when I'm with Danny because he's so friendly and he genuinely likes talking to people. And, you know, I have moods where I want to talk to people and then I have moods where I don't. But when I'm with, you know, around Danny, it just makes me feel like I should really like talk to people all the time. So I try and do it more and more. I'm trying to get uh, more and more uh, outgoing in that way. How was the WonderCon panel? WonderCon was fun. It was... It's always funny because you go to Comic-Con, you go to WonderCon, everybody talks about, oh, the floor is so crazy. Everybody's dressed up in these costumes. But when you're there for a panel, they basically hide you in a room and they shuffle you along back hallways and then spit you out into a room, a dark room where you can't see anyone. And then 
back down a back hallway and then back into your car. So you never really get to see people dressed up in costumes. I didn't get yeah. to walk around on the floor. So because if you did, you would be mobbed, right? I mean, I'm sure they're kind of looking out for you in that I way. Guess, but- I guess, but it, you just feel kind of disconnected from the whole event of it. And obviously you get to be in the same room with the people who are there for your panel who are all awesome and really enthusiastic, but you don't get to just kind of like take it see, in. Yeah. See, go see a But People are like, what's your favorite costume? And you're like, I've, I've been in this um, room with no windows for the last two hours. I don't know. I haven't seen anything. Yeah. Um, But it's still awesome for us to be in a room with a bunch of like really enthusiastic fans. Yeah. Who know more about your episodes and than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've definitely heard that about the community fans is that you guys are like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And they're like, how could you forget? I know they're like, they'll quote a line like or a throwaway reference or something. And you're like, you're, you are encyclopedic about this that show. Is so sweet. Yeah, it's pretty great. I couldn't love that more. Here's a question that I am just going to throw at you that you don't have to have an answer to. Let's pretend for a second like you knew you were going to get mobbed if you did hit the floor mm-hmm. of a Comic-Con. So you decided to put on a costume yourself, <laughs> thus becoming uh, in disguise and safe from the throngs. Can you think of a costume that you would be most likely to be like, yeah, I would throw, I would probably dress up as a blah. Do you think a Daria costume would cut it? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. You could throw on a Daria costume. Yeah. Some glasses and a dark wig. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Absolutely. wear a Daria costume. What have you, uh, do you enjoy, and did you enjoy dressing up for Halloween when you were uh, younger? I really enjoyed Halloween when I was younger because my grandmother made all of my costumes from scratch. Oh. So that was pretty great. Like she made me a Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. Ooh. A green velvet Tyrannosaurus Rex costume complete with tail. Oh, he was fancy. Mm-hmm. She made me, um, let me see, I had a ruby-throated hummingbird costume. I'm sorry. I know. Once again, I'm sorry. getting back to the wow. of what, who, why I am the way I am, I just announced that I wanted to be a ruby-throated hummingbird, and my mom made it happen. Uh... I'm going to say 99% of the listeners fell in love with you when you said that you're a ruby-throated hummingbird. Wow. That's so specific. I know. I know. What was the beak like? Was it like... She got me a mask. The beak could be dangerous. Yeah, she got me like a long beak mask that I wore with my costume. Okay, well, everyone wants to know what else. A Tyrannosaurus Rex, a ruby-throated hummingbird. Um, Let's see. I was a killer bee. A killer bee, not a bee. No, a killer bee because also, the killer bees had come. Yeah, a vampire bat. Wonderful, Mike. Do you have pictures of these? You must. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm trying to think of what else I was. Um, I will be so happy if we can get even one. But <laughs> you know, I want a representation of each and every costume. Yeah, I'm trying to remember other ones, but yeah, my grandmother. There, made- so I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a lot of animalia. Yes, yeah, uh, a lot of animals. A lot of, lot of animals. You're not going to suddenly say, and then she made me a Carol Channing uh, <laughs> outfit. No, <laughs> no, I was never, I was never Carol Channing. I should do that though. I should do that. I mean, that was not good for my confidence. Even as a child, I knew that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> Everyone knows it's always not a compliment. Yeah, even though I think Carol Channing uh, is awesome and like Actually she is. And you know what? She was a beautiful young woman. Yeah. We just think of her as being the sort of brash, yeah. brassy, older, our generation Carol Channing. But I saw something I I saw, I was, I saw some old footage for her on Decavitors. There was something I saw of her a couple of years ago that 
I had just never seen her that young. And I did kind of have that embarrassing moment of chagrin of like, Oh, I, I froze her in my mind so that she was always that age. She was always an old, an old lady who was just crazy. Um, but, but in fact she was kind of a, a fox. She had to have been. I you're mean, not born old unless you're Benjamin Button. So at some point she was. Yeah. Well, that's certainly true. Science has told us that. There's yes. no question about this that. This is just fact time now. I am so impressed by all of those costumes. <laughs> Did your grandmother live close by? She lived in Erie, which was is like a two and a half hour drive. Uh-huh. Um, and she was a seamstress when she was younger. So she was really good with the making things. Is that your mom's mom? or your- mm-hmm, My mom's yeah. mom. Yeah. So this now I've got this sort of wonderful folksy oh you don't know the half of it with my grandmother of the generation this is starting to turn into like how to make an american quilt yeah i know or gray gardens or gray gardens uh my grandmother (laughs) if you really yeah like why i am the way i am my grandmother was like a real kook she um you guys are a bunch of pistols i know she considered herself like a activist um, she considered herself an environmentalist before that was really a thing. Yeah. She campaigned for migrant farm workers' rights. She loved international uh, cultures, but she hated travel. Hmm. So she created a foundation where she just, she made it up. Like she named, she decided that she was the president. She had letterhead made and like just called herself the president, but it was like, she totally made it up. And uh, so basically anyone from around the world that was had to come to Erie, they could stay at my grandparents' house. And so growing up, my mom never knew coming home who was going to be in her house. And it was people from India, from Japan, from Africa, from Australia, from Europe. I mean, so there were always people in and out of the house. And, you know, my grandmother has all these saris that were given to her by... You know, Indian people who stayed there and kimonos from people in Japan. And so she got to meet all these people from around the world, but she didn't have to travel. She brought them to her. <laughs> She's real selfish. But she this made them is come amazing. to her. This is like a magical story. I guess. Of, of, yeah. From the outside looking in, this woman who didn't like traveling, but who managed <laughs> to sort of see the world. Yeah. That's amazingly magnetic on her part. She was like a real trailblazer in her own mind, at least. She also always claimed that she had the second highest IQ in Erie. And we'd always be like, well, who had the first? And she didn't like that at all. (laughs) And like total child of the depression, like had a, had a sign on the fridge that said, waste not want not. And I remember one time my aunt as an adult, in the middle of the night that put up a sign that said, eat what you want and throw the rest away as a joke. <gasps> and my grandmother got genuinely angry. It was oh. very, very angry about that. So we had the clean plate club. <laughs> oh my God. She started a clipping service, which was like, once again, totally unasked for. She would get up really early in the morning, cut up the paper and write like, you know, so say you said, say Janet said she had a real interest in, in carrots any article that my grandmother saw about carrots she would cut it out put it in a little thing that she had for all the janet articles and when she got enough she would mail you them so she had containers under every surface in the house under the couches under the tables under everything with people's names on them and she was always cutting up the newspaper and mailing off articles to people killian i am a gape you've (laughs) rendered me speechless that is not easy to do 
No, uh, and no one asked her to do it was the best part. I am so amazed by this story. Yeah, she was a strange woman. This woman is like a character in a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she in was In a real, wonderful way. She's really odd. She thought she was the shit. I'm pretty <laughs> convinced she was the shit. She also liked to befend... If you had... If you... If you had some issues, like maybe you were schizophrenic or maybe you were a struggling artist or maybe, you know, you had some other things going on. My grandmother would seek you out and befriend you. So she had like just this collection of her poor dears, the poor souls. And so they were always trooping in and out of the house. I remember there's this one woman that my mom and her siblings nicknamed Sparkle Plenty when they were little. Wow. And she used to stand outside the house in the middle of the night. My grandmother's name was Carol. And she'd be like, Carol. And they would be like, oh, Sparkle Plenty's here again. So did your did your grandmother have time to spend on her own children with all of these lost causes and in influx of people from all over? No, she kind of she kind of especially with my aunt, who's significantly younger than my mom and her brother. I think my mom did a lot of the 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 parenting because my grandmother had other fish to fry. Yeah. Saving the world. And so and so it sounds like she. I mean, I guess the through line I'm looking for here is kind of getting back into the idea of being a young girl and where your confidence comes from. And Mm -hmm. I think you spoke a little bit earlier about being stubborn. And I think that can really get you a long way. It's actually maybe a more of a personality trait that's inherited that ends up helping that lack of self-confidence tough period of time of being a little kid and or being a teenager or a young woman and and because I do like to kind of focus in at least for part of the podcast on encouraging young women to kind of find their voices and stuff what do you do I guess when you're not when you're not stubborn and Mm -hmm. you don't know maybe even you don't know like you knew what you liked yeah and you knew with certainty and then you had that great stubborn streak where you were able to just (laughs) say oh you don't like that I like this I like it more I like um, I like it harder. I like it harder and aggressively <laughs> in your face, stupid. Uh, what do we What do we say to girls who don't know, who maybe don't have those those inclinations, those kind of organic inclinations that that you can still like something and not be ashamed of it? It's yeah, hard, right? It is hard because I feel like a lot of times I did feel alone. Because I was the only one that liked things. But I guess between my mom and my grandmother, I had two such strong examples of women who just were who they were, liked what they liked. And um, so I guess that was the only way I really viewed that you could be. I didn't really, you know, it would have seemed like such a mortal sin in my family to compromise who you were because it would have made you more popular. I didn't even know how to make myself popular. I had two best friends in elementary school that ditched me to become popular, and they mm. did become popular. So, I mean, for me, it just felt like, I don't know, I always like liked what I liked so strongly, but I guess if you're, you're, you're a kid, if you have a little inkling towards something, pursue it. You don't have to even necessarily have to tell anybody at school that you like it, because I know a lot of times you get the subject of ridicule if you open yourself up in that way, and it maybe it can be in your own little secret thing that you you know, that you research after school, you go to the library. I don't think people go to the library anymore, but to me somehow like that's <laughs> the answer online. to all of this. Like go to the library. Just go to the library I know. and find out. Um, 
let me. I, I would love to ask you this. Given the stubbornness and the things that you have in common with your mom and your grandmother, mm-hmm. what are what is arguing like in your household oh. when you're a teenage girl, and mm-hmm. how and who apologizes and does anyone apologize? My mom says that that arguing with me is like arguing with a lawyer. So I think I would frustrate my mother because I I guess I remember quotes verbatim and would throw them back in her face and she would get very flustered by that <laughs> like well but on march the 2nd you said oh. blah, blah, blah. you know like oh so, you are an attorney at law yeah so i uh, so i think that um that's got to be good for memorization skills i guess for, right? uh, lines yeah i would get very frustrated because at a certain point it would stop being like um, it wouldn't be about winning the argument. My mom would just say, you're doing this. And it, would, you know, it wouldn't be necessarily about whether or not I made an effective argument for whatever I wanted to do. She would just tell me I was doing it. Like the fact that I took piano for 12 years and I hated every single second of it. And my mother just, you know, through sheer force of will, made me take piano lessons. 12 years is a long time to do it if you yeah, don't like it. I hated it. I hated it. So you do, and you probably retained the skill, and yet you don't ever no, want to do it. No, I can't it. really play remember? the piano. I never practiced really, so I didn't get very good at it. And I was supposed to go home from school every day and practice piano. I was a latchkey kid, so of course I watched a lot of television. And my mom, okay, so you did watch television. No, where? Oh, yeah. What kind of television did you watch? Because we know that you read Poirot yeah, and yeah, read yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Um, I watched everything that was on Comedy Central. Okay. Um, Here's I w- our contemporary stuff. Yes, okay. So you're probably watching. But nobody was talking about yeah. kids in the hall or yeah. are you being served or absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really. Maybe like my friends on the weekend, my acting class friends, we all liked Monty Python and we liked, you know, comedy, those sort of things together. But the kids I went to school with weren't really talking about you know, uh, any of those shows with me or watching like stand-up specials on Comedy Central back when Comedy Central used to show stand-up. Yeah. Um, And so I liked those, but that still felt like something that I liked that I didn't really know anybody else that that liked it, you know. Did you see that playing a role in so to speak uh playing a role in in what you did in in the future because this is that's this is really the first time we've talked about comedy yeah and here you are on a on one of the best comedies yeah. out there oh thanks i never really got to do comedy until community so it felt like something that i was into as a kid and i had this one acting teacher who was super into monty python lemmings would you know have us learn, memorize and perform Monty Python sketches. And awesome. uh, we would develop characters and do improvs in these characters that we developed and write histories for them and everything. But that always felt to me very separate from being an actor because when I went to Juilliard, it's a classical theater training program and they really look down on comedy. It's not even something you don't really, you know, their vision of comedy Mm. is like Moliere. Right. You know, it's not, right. It's nothing that, uh, you know, is like a belly laugh, you know? <laughs> um, so it was like more about like verbal wordplay and Shakespeare yeah. and like, you know, alliteration and, you know, illusions and things like that. But um, so it was not something that I really pursued. I was not particularly encouraged to do it at Juilliard. Um, and so it just sort of felt like something I liked, but not something that I really had any experience with. Um, and, 
you know, before I was on Community, I didn't really know any comics. I didn't know any stand-ups. I didn't know really anybody who did sketch comedy. So it wasn't even like my friends were really doing it. My friends were all doing, you know, new plays or theater. And so uh, it was it was a big change for me to be on Community and suddenly meet all these people. I go was going to gonna say. Fest, go to San Francisco Sketch Fest. You did get to go to my Shout festival. out to the JV. Um and to feel like I am part of a community Indeed. Of, of funny people in L.A. And it's really been so fun for me because uh, I felt so on the outside of it. And now I feel like I know all these awesome people, you know, that I was fans of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is I, there. There are a lot of really hard and taxing things about L.A. And, and certainly being on a, on a hit show I'm sure uh, buffers a lot of a lot of that that you don't necessarily experience if you're not on one. But um, but I think those those moments where you kind of get to tap your 13 year old self on the shoulder and yeah. say, hey, hey, Chevy Chase, I work with Chevy Chase yeah. or somebody just came up to me and said, I love what you do. And I didn't even know what to say because I've been watching them for so long. But yeah, I know. No, I remember. Yeah, I, I when I did the uh, something for Sketchfest. Uh, with and David Cross was in it as well, and he told me that he watched the Christmas episode of my show three times. I was like, "What? <laughs> you know, it's just like what, Mister Show? Oh yeah, Arrested Development? You, you watch my show? So yeah, it's so great. And you know, I remember watching like Best Week Ever, and now I get to do like the Paul F. Tompkins show. Yeah. You know, so get to you know get to know these people. And are there well, comedy women that you that you looked up to when you were younger that? That hmm. or were it's you so interesting because I feel like well absolutely fabulous I definitely yeah, was a I huge, should say yeah, yeah I was a massive a great... fan of that um, and I just like you know I liked Margaret Cho mm-hmm. because she likes the gays the gays like her felt like very you know, yeah familiar to me I, I you were yeah, yeah picking up what she was laying yeah, down I was picking up what Margaret Cho was laying down and then you know obviously when Thirty Rock got on the air that was just like you know, a show that I just became obsessed with. Yeah. Which is so, it's such a sister show to your show in terms of people who just know the episodes inside and out. Yeah. And the writing is really, it seems like it becomes more and more like the fearlessness of we're writing this for our fans yeah. as much as for anything else. And, and I think there's, I think the fans feel that and they, love it and arrested development felt like that too like this is we're making i mean i'm so sorry to use this term but they you they it it, then you start to feel like you're included in a community Uh which is kind of an amazing thing to do and to achieve yeah and i also just so admired tina fey for creating a character for herself that's so flawed and just putting it out there warts and all and she's you know liz lemon can be like bossy and mean and you know petty but also so fucking funny and you know it was just so great to see a woman create a show and write a part for like that for herself and absolutely she's, you know she's not like the put upon she's always right everyone's always wronging her she's got like weird food issues and a wedding dress on the stairmaster in right. her apartment so i just i so love that and that you know felt to me like a sort of beacon you know, especially when community started playing the character that I play on that, which I sort of feel like, you know, has a lot of warts and gets made fun of and is like a mess and is stubborn and is a hypocrite. And I always just felt like Tina Fey just blazed that trail for, you know, yeah, for ladies. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, wow, this was great. This really flew <laughs> did, by. Do we give you the stuff? I say flew by like I was dreading it or like I expected it to take forever. This that is not, not nearly as painful as we, listen, I anticipated this, it being. I, I don't know what to say. This was actually all right. Um, <laughs> color me surprised. Uh, Gillian, thank you so much for doing this. Thank I you. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome to make any parting remarks that you would like. Uh, if there's a, a last uh, mm. May West quote that we could come up with very quickly, <laughs> uh, certainly that would be fine. Uh, uh, we, uh, a hard man is good to find. That's another May West quote <laughs> that I had in my quote book. Oh. Um, I, you know, speaking to all those little girls out there. No, um, I just, I always feel like, you know, whatever makes you stick out like a sore thumb as a kid is what ends up making you a unique and awesome adult. So as long as you can hold on to those things and not let the embarrassment or the peer pressure wear them away, you'll really be thanking yourself when you get to be older that you stayed true to yourself. You you pursued all your weird interests, be it Baroque music or George Bernard Shaw. Indeed. And it will give you the best dinner party fodder if you <laughs> if you let yourself be as weird as you want to be. And Oh, I love that. Be <laughs> proud of your sore thumbs. Yeah. Gillian Jacobs, thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 